Welcome to Record Crimes. Join us today for our special series as we deep dive into the chaotic world of music copyright and legal battles. This is Copyright Corner. going i'm excited to be doing another episode of copyright corner copyright corner if you didn't read the title before you opened this episode now you know now you know i know we've only done one so far but i love these episodes so much they're fun and they're juicy and quite frankly comedic at times yeah i enjoy that break despite all the the fact that they're in court it's kind of funny that they're in court like a lot the way of it, that they got there. A lot of it's a little petty, in my opinion. Oh, Some absolutely. of them are very valid. Some of them are very petty. And I like that. <laughs> Some of them are both. Valid, petty, <laughs> nothing in between. Nothing in between. So yeah. <laughs> and now here we are. We got bagels this morning. From, thank you, Hanks. Thank, thank you, Alex. Hanks. Shout out, Alex. Shout out, Alex. Didn't think I was ever going to see you again. I know, I love that you man. you moved to Sundays, but... I guess we should thank his coworker that got sick so that he had to cover and yeah, come ho- in today. Yeah, I hope they're okay. Hope they're okay, but also thanks. But also thanks because... Everything happens for a reason. He, one time he gave me like a bag of bagels because I came like very close to closing time. Wait, he, so maybe that's the move. Instead of what? us like waking up early, like afraid well, that we're not going to get any bagels, like maybe we should just wait till they close so then we get all the bagels well you get like the bagels that like are left over so usually those are like the ones that people don't really want that much but like also I, the last time you got like an everything bagel you got no, sesame those, and poppy no i didn't get every any any everything's i just got oh um, those weren't the ones no that I, I just got like poppy seed and sesame and then just plain deceived yeah you know sorry. honestly though hank's bagels like the foundation but that plain bagel is real good yeah, they're pretty good. I won't argue. Yeah. But yeah, no, this week was kind of crazy, as you know. Yeah. Um, there was a break into my apartment building, mm. which was the scariest experience that I've had. And I'll get into it more in another episode. But there was a, I would say second to this one was the um, the corpse incident. I know, yeah. How could you forget? You have to tell that story at some point because this building the I live in incident. is, it's kind of, I've, like, I've tried to own, live the bachelor scared. life. She's a bachelor. I'm a bachelor. Ladies. Bachelorette. This week on The Bachelorette. <laughs> no roses included, though. But yeah, so there was a break in in my building this week, and it happened at like 2 a.m. I shouldn't say break in. I'm 90% positive it was one of our residents, one of the oh, residences really? in the building. Yeah, because. Just wreaking havoc. The email that I got from my building said that the building was quote unquote vandalized but here's i'll short recap yeah retrospect scary but also kind of funny it's very cartoony yeah but like i wake up at 2 a.m because i hear all this like loud banging but i also hear like glass crackling like, i breaking. thought you were gonna say growling i was like no, no. 
no. No, that is a, in fact a demonic possession. No, but I heard all this glass breaking. I wake up immediately and then I see it also like woke up a bunch of other people and they're like popping their heads out of like their windows and looking down. And I can look down into like a courtyard and like see the lobby door and glass. So I can see the entrance and it's well lit. There's usually a security guard there. Don't know where he was this time. What if it was him? It wasn't. Oh. That'd be <laughs> um, fucking crazy. Yeah, that Not honestly, test. that would make it almost funny. But Oh yeah, that'd be hilarious. Um I am not on the first floor, so I'm like, I was pretty high up, but yeah. I could still hear all this stuff. So people started popping their heads out. They were like, shut up, like be quiet. But it kept on happening. It sounded like bombs going off. But I look it's in the courtyard and there's nothing. crazy too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, there's nothing happening. I was like, where is this coming from? So I call the police. <laughs> you I called did. the police? I called 911. But someone, it ended up being someone else before me did oh, as okay. well. But I called 911 and I was just like, here's the situation. There's no number to call my security. So like, I don't know if they're dealing with this i'm very scared to leave my apartment so can you like please send someone over here to like check out the situation and then literally they're like can you like describe where it's coming from and i'm like yeah like i have a room that overlooks the lobby i could see the front entrance and like i hear glass breaking and i don't know where it's coming from and then literally as i said that like a movie i see a lamp fly out of the front window and into the court like from the inside crash through the window and i was like oh they're in the lobby (laughs) But I was so scared. I was like shaking. I was like, oh my, oh, they're in the lobby. (laughs) I would pay good money to hear that 911 call. (laughs) And she was like, okay. But then as soon as like, she talked to me for like maybe another minute. And then all of a sudden you see like the floodlight from like a helicopter. They light up the front of the building. Officers come in through the front gate. Like someone let them in. Why the helicopter get there first? I don't know. But like the helicopter is shining it. And then all of a sudden you hear the police cars pull up and someone lets them in. And it was honestly very anticlimactic they arrested someone in the lobby who was like throwing the shit around like he literally threw like the you walk in and there's like side tables with like lamps and like fancy chairs and it's like it's really like a lobby Mm -hmm. and he was just throwing that shit at the windows and breaking the windows with it but yeah the lamp flying out i was like i was like that's the lamp from the from the front desk thing (laughs) not the lamp that's my favorite one i was like nice it's like a nice pretty like gold lamp and i was like oh but he i say he because when i saw them bring out said person in handcuffs it was a man Mm -hmm. to get into the building like you have to pass from the back and the front you have to pass like a gate that needs a key so you get into the gate and then you walk and then you get into the building Mm -hmm. so the fact that he was like in the lobby doing this shit means he had to get through the gates and both gates are so high they're like gonna say did he hop the gate they're like 20 foot gates like not even joking with you so it's like they're not like thatched where it's like crisscrossing oh yeah yeah they're straight they're just like like bar yeah Yeah. bars and they're very wide apart so like climbing theoretically could happen but it's like very difficult but not impossible but yeah i was like he has to be someone here from like the inside out he so he ruined the lobby he ruined the elevators (gasps) and he ruined the leasing office leasing office like had windows too so i was like this feels like a personal jab this feels very vengeful yeah it doesn't sound like they went into they tried to go into any no they didn't break into any other apartments or had any desire to they just wanted to fuck up the lobby and they did but it was really scary and i like called my mom after i was like crying and i was like why is all this stuff happening this city is so scary well you need to move from that apartment building like i've been saying this for a very long time i have her location and she's also like 
I love you so much. You're not good at answering messages. No, so sometimes no, I'm not. If she and doesn't everyone answer, listening probably is cackling right now because everyone else knows. She's the worst texter. I am like, I'm very like AWOL when it comes to like my phone. It freaks me out. I'm you, sorry. Like it scares me so bad. I like check her location every day, but she texts me like after not answering for like a few hours at least. And we were just, she was like, okay, lightly, but also listen, you were lightly I was chatting. At work. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I got my hand in milk containers and matcha. I do not Unless care. like, where are you? <laughs> I know. I'm like so... I do annoy her, but I think it's just because I'm like, she's not going to answer me if I don't text her a bunch. Text um, seven times at least. Yeah, at least. For one response, seven messages. Yeah, it's funny because I do that with a lot of people. I'll send multiple messages as like my f- train of thought is like going. My messages are very like... Oh one yeah, and thought, this and then, one message. Yes, yeah. So she's like chatting with me. She's like, "Hey, sorry, I was at work. Like, here's this, this, and this." She's like answering all my other messages, and then she. I kind of laid it on you. you. I was like, "Also, you um, this traumatic lead. event happened." Last dude, night. I was like, "Yo, why didn't you fucking start with that, dude?" Like, I wouldn't. Are you joking? Because I'm okay. I don't care. I know. I know. I obviously care that you're okay, but also. <laughs> Don't do that to me again. I, I at least I led with that. I was like, "Well, obviously you're I'm okay. okay. You're at work. I'll just start with that." But. Also, you should know that this happened. Terrifying. Um, yeah. So they're fi- it, long story short, they're fixing it up, <laughs> and I'm happy to be here this weekend because yeah. while while I'm here, hopefully they're dealing with all the window stuff. Thank so you, thank was, you. Yeah, that was my crazy week, but yeah, I had a very uneventful week, but I just worked a lot. I just worked with my little besties working and girls. working gals. Working. Um, that's what i call that now whenever i have a nine to five shift my dolly shift yeah i'm like i'm literally pulling a dolly today and people who get it get it other people don't and i'm just like ew if you don't get that you're lame yeah speaking of dolly parton the song flowers by miley cyrus that's a kind of good segue they're related uh not blood related but they're related hannah montana's related no Oh, yeah, she is. No, she's the godmother in Hannah Montana. She's godmother in real life. Yeah. Anyway, that song, the her song Flowers, I think her album just dropped too, like the full thing, mm-hmm. right? That song is so good, and I don't think I've gotten tired of it yet, which is surprising because I feel like it's pretty... It has like the interpolation with Br- the Bruno Mars song. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all should be more tired of it because it has that already overplayed song interpolated I into it, but it's say, like, so good. formula, but it, no, it's good. I think uh, her voice is unmatched. Dude, I think... There's a few songs on her Plastic Hearts album that I think should have gotten that same recognition because she's so versatile. We'll just have to use her songs in our TikToks. We're going to make a TikTok. Yeah, I've decided that I'm going to make a TikTok account because... We're going to dive into that realm of social... Media? Promotion. (laughs) Social media promotion. Media, duh. Media, duh. Anyway, so welcome back to Copyright Corner. Yeah, Copyright Corner. Copyright Corner. I think the ones that we picked out this week are fun for you guys. I'm excited. I'm super excited. I I will preface, at least for me, I have managed to collect on like everything that I've talked about on this podcast so far. Mm -hmm. Like I've lined up so perfectly. Yeah, you, every single person that you've at least mentioned, Mm -hmm. like literally is in there. Yes, literally every single person. It's so iconic. I'm not gonna, there's like a, not a twist at the end, but I'm really gonna drive it home and I'm excited to see your reaction for that. But we promise that this will be a little bit of a 
lighter episode. Yeah, definitely. Especially Last after our... have been kind of heavy. Yeah. Kind of long. <laughs> so we'll make this a bit lighter. But before we start, it'd probably be a good idea to go over the parts about copyright just to refresh our memory. So yes. that if you're just listening to this episode and haven't listened to the first copyright corner, mm-hmm. you'll kind of understand what makes a copyright Infringe. infringement a copyright infringement, at least regarding cases with songs specifically. Yeah. So... Take it away, Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first oh, Miss Piggy. <laughs> Kermy. No. Kermy. <laughs> no, the first copyright corner that we did, we obviously tried to go into the details of what makes a copyright infringement a copyright infringement and we won't go that deep we'll just kind of do just a refresher the bullet points the bullet points give you the four big reasons yeah the four ways to establish a copyright infringement like you have to establish that you own your own valid copyright in the work and that it's either been copied the copy is substantially similar to the predictable elements and like the heart of your work and the courts also have to like evaluate the extent of that similarity and things like that both qualitative and quantitative it also there needs to be proof that the wrongdoer had access to the person's work that one's definitely harder to prove i think more in the cases that have happened like earlier on i think nowadays because of not only like social media but just like how much access to like music and everything yeah. that we have it's very easy to be like they could have done that. They yeah. could have had like access Like, unless you're walking this. around with, like, a boombox and CDs. Yeah. Good luck not hearing something. Yeah, liter- yeah exactly. <laughs> cool. So it needs to be copied, be copied substantially. Court needs to also think that it's been copied. And then it needs to show that, like, the quote-unquote copier had access to hearing it before they made their own version and such. Right. Okay. Right. Sick. Let's get into it. What's right. the first case that you brought? Um, the first case that I brought is kind of two cases in one, Lana Del Rey versus Radiohead. <laughs> what? <laughs> two very different. I remember uh, in 2018 when this was all going down, it was very quick and very... You remember this? Yes, because it was like people were fighting on Twitter about it. People were on like Reddit. If Twitter gets involved, yeah, The it's Lana a mess. Del Rey stands are terrifying. And now we know what a stan is. Yes, they are very scary. Scary, the and they will stand the man they will like yeah <laughs> they will fight to the death for lana which i get let me get into it with a little bit of like a timeline again this was like very quick and very not a lot of information came about so on january 7th 2018 it was reported that the members of radiohead were considering suing lana del rey for copyright infringement over her song get free claiming that it sounded too similar to their song, Creep. I also want to say, again, there wasn't too much information about this whole case. I couldn't tell if it was like the band and the band members that were kind of trying to pursue this lawsuit or if it was their label slash publishers. Whoever owned the yeah, song. Yeah, there was a lot of conflicting information. Okay. I'm just going to say that it was like the entity Radiohead and whoever that encapsulates. Fair. Fair. I'll take it. Yeah. The press was fueling this controversy, putting out articles saying they caught wind of this possible lawsuit. Again, like I said, a lot of fans had already kind of noticed the similarities. And then the press was like fueling the flame and saying like, this could be the next blurred lines case kind of thing. Like they, they were like, it's on that level. Okay. 
it's going to be huge. Yes. That's kind of why I wanted to do this one because a lot of the articles that I read were making that connection where they're like, this happened so recently and then now this is going to happen and like this is going to be huge kind of thing and all of them were trying to get in like before. That's fair. That day, basically, Lana Del Rey tweeted, quote, it's true about the lawsuit. Although my song was not inspired by Creep, Radiohead feels it was and wants 100% of the publishing. I offered up to 40% over the last few months, but they will only accept 100%. So she tried to compromise? She, yeah, but she also tweeted about it. And this was before any like formal lawsuit was announced or anything. But she was like, it's true, guys. Like, I see what you're saying about it and it's true. Okay, so she almost, well, essentially too, like she's admitting to like at least that last of the four points that she's, you know, heard it. Yeah. And as the second one that, She's like, I acknowledge that there is like a substantial. Not even that, but she just was kind of like Radiohead feels like it. It was similar. Okay. So okay. But like, anyway, Jeff Peretz, he is a copyright expert, I guess, and he's a professor at NYU. He questioned the validity of that claim that she tweeted, given how historically rare it was for a band or an artist or a publishing company to demand that much Mm -hmm. he basically was like there's just no way that they were really asking for a hundred percent of the rights to that song right it's a little absurd that same day that she tweeted this she was playing a concert and during that song or before that song she stated that the song may even be removed from the album that it was on because of these like legal complications, she stated, quote, I just want you to know, regardless if it gets taken down off of everything, that those sentiments that I wrote, that I really am going to strive for them, even though if that song is not on future physical releases of the record, I just wanted to let you know that for the kids and for the not kids who are the real fans who are here. So that's probably the last thing I'll say about it. So they're all kind of just being like really vague. No one really knows what's going on. She's like admitting that there's like some legal complications to the point where she might just have to fully remove it off of her album. Right. But then she's like, anyways, won't be mentioning it again. Right. She's she like, says this at a for concert. For the real ones, yeah. we'll know that it's been around, but yes. other than that. And Lana Del Rey also does She said have, it at a concert? Yeah, she said it like right before, right after, during when she was singing the actual song. I was going to say Lana Del Rey also has a ton of music that isn't on her albums that she's like either leaked herself other people have leaked or uh, are just not on like streaming platforms Mm -hmm. but they're just on the internet okay so i think she was kind of like yeah i think she was just kind of alluding to like even though if i have to take it off the physical album i know you guys will still support me in this song and like its message or whatever that's fair i think lana del bootleg (laughs) no no (laughs) I hate it. Okay. (laughs) So two days after this, this is now the 9th of January in 2018. Warner Chapel, which is Radiohead's publisher at the time, I'm not sure if they still are. They also released a statement saying, quote, it's true that we've been in discussions since August of last year with Lana Del Rey's representatives. It's clear that the verses of Get Free use musical elements found in verses of Creep, and we've requested that this be acknowledged in favor of all writers of Creep. 
They continued to say, to set the record straight, no lawsuit has been issued and Radiohead have not said that they, quote, will only accept 100% of the publishing of Get Free. So Warner Chapel is basically like, clearing the air. Hey, Hey, not a lawsuit. We're just talking about it. A lot of like the experts popping in to discuss this, they were like, I mean, even musicians, no, you don't want to bring it to court. No, you know? that gets messy. It's messy and it's hard. And especially because I know we talked a lot about this last time. It's so hard to prove your case and like the legal fees that that it's ensues. It's easier just to settle and make a compromise right. than it is to... And a lot of the copyright cases that you'll see have been settled out of court mm-hmm. just because it's too much trouble to go to court for yes. this. I'm going to just talk about some of the similarities between the two songs and then we can listen to the two. A musicologist named Dan Bogosian. Bogosian. Okay. He broke it down. I don't know like what exactly the source where he broke it down, but it was mentioned in quite a few articles. Yeah, that he broke it down. So the chords, it's the same exact chord progression. Okay. But as we know from earlier discussions, you can't copyright a chord progression. No, you can't. They also are in different keys, but that I don't think that... It's the same formula. It's the same formula. Different key. Same progression, different key. Yeah. That's fine. But the melody of the verses, specifically, if you put them up next to each other, they're very similar. Um, And he even makes a full melody sheet and, and lines like them up. lines them up almost and you like can puts see, them like, right the notation next. is pretty identical. it's pretty it's pretty similar okay. yeah he also stated that quote the entire verse is just lana doing her lyrics over radiohead's creep she holds out the same notes as tom york for the same duration at the same points and it's the same relative pitches The guitar part is played to a different rhythm, but if you boiled it down to the same key, the actual fingerings and the notes on the guitar is playing would actually be the same. This case never really went to trial. Yeah, no, you said it was settled out. We don't even know if it was actually genuinely ever settled out. Okay. Because it just seemed like the case was dropped, and I will kind of get into my theory and other people's theory as to why it was just dropped and seemingly unresolved. But Lana Del Rey did claim that it was settled, even though no settlement was actually formally announced, which usually happens even if they don't go to court. They'll just mm-hmm. be like, it we'll was, settle it. we'll settle undisclosed amount or like writer's credits or blah, blah, blah. Right. She said in March of 2018 at the Lollapalooza Festival in Brazil, she said, now that my lawsuit's over, I guess I can sing that song anytime I want, right? Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was never formally settled and the reason I think that the case was dropped is because Radiohead was actually sued by another band over this song Creep. So some other band was like, you're copying us with your version of Creep, like you're copying our song. Yes. So that lawsuit, going to go into that a little bit. The Hollies released a hit track, The Air I Breathe, in 1974. It was written by Albert Hammond and Mike Hazelwood. When Creep was released, soon after, Hammond and Hazelwood sued Radiohead for a copyright infringement. Radiohead did claim that at first that the similarities were unintentional and subconscious. It was like a pretty big song, like when it was released, the Holly song. So Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead actually once recalled during the creation of the band's hit song Creep, quote, 
Ed O'Brien stopped and said, this is the same chord sequence as that Holly song. He then explained that Tom, quote, copied it and that it was kind of funny to the rest of the band, so they egged him on. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, this is just, like, kind of, like, one quote from one of the band members of Radiohead, but... Still. (laughs) Kind of interesting insight. So they originally claimed that it was unintentional, and then they just kind of maybe noticed it and then just kind of didn't really do anything about changing it. But they did acknowledge it. At some point. So according to Hammond, Radiohead at one point then agreed that they did actually take it, and because that they were honest, they weren't sued to the point of saying, we want the whole thing, we want all of the rights. The Hollies weighed in on the Lana Radiohead controversy, saying, it can be very difficult to differentiate between coincidence and outright plagiarism. Hence, musicologists in most cases have a better role to play than lawyers. Keep it out of court if you can. The costs can mean nobody wins in the end. Basically how this lawsuit ended was that Hammond and Hazelwood now have writing credits on Creep. So they kept it out of court. They said it was better to keep it out of court. And the Hollies kind of weighed in very early on. Again, this was like the Lana Del Rey case was very short. Mm It's like January to March, basically. They were like, keep it out of court. It's fine. Figure it out before it has to get that far. A lot of people just think it's very ironic that Radiohead tried to sue someone over a song they've already been Been sued sued about. Yeah, their lawyers were even saying, like, we want it to benefit all of the writers of Creep. So, I mean, Hammond, yeah, Hammond and Hazelwood won their copyright. Right. Like, they would be included in that case, but it didn't seem like they were very involved in the whole thing because it wasn't technically. Why does Twitter have to ruin everything? (laughs) Why does Twitter have to I love how the Twitter experts spoke I know on it's this so one. fun but then they were so good at being experts that literally nothing happened nothing really happened yeah it was weird they I guess job. it just kind of got dropped it seemed like maybe Radiohead took like what the Holly said to heart don't take it to court figure it out kind of thing yeah but I think also in my opinion I think the criticism of dude you're really gonna try to do this after you've already been sued over this exact song not even like a different song or anything like that it's like this song that's like such a middle child energy (laughs) like the hollies are the oldest child (laughs) and then they're you know bullying the middle child and the middle child turns around and Lana Del Rey is like the youngest and it's just like (laughs) you suck Reddit was like another big forum that the Lana Del Rey fans like took to um, in discussing this case. So I kind of just went to like the subreddit of Lana Del Rey and looked up Radiohead. Mm -hmm. A lot of people on there seem to think that they're like not similar at all. Radiohead sucks. I saw a lot of those are the Reddit experts. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people were like source and like no one would answer. And these are like the ether. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They were just like saying stuff. So on brand for Reddit, especially like five years ago, six years ago. It was funny though. People were like, Radiohead, they're the worst. All this stuff. I scoured the internet. It's just all like kind of like a weird he said, she said. Um, I'm going to play you the songs because I will admit, I hear it. Okay, let's go Um, for it. Let's just, let's let's hear it. Okay, so here we go. float like a feather in a beautiful world I wish I was special You're so fucking special 
You know, I mean, I hear it, but I, I think s- a lot of the fact is, like, the chords are exactly the same. It's obviously, like, a very distinct chord progression. Very distinct. I feel like a lot of people it's use very it. very modal. It is. It is. <laughs> Although very distinct, it is a popular tool that Yes, but it also doesn't use. help that, like, the guitar, the way the guitar is being played guitar, with, like, the rolling the, of the chords the specifically, the spooky. But the melody the is melody. so similar on Lana's all three. Lana's literally just, like, copying and pasting her own lyrics onto that but so you agree with what's his face with uh kind of copyright expert. and you know what i love that you actually did this now because that relates so much to the case that i'm gonna share right after you Ooh, okay like, that idea it's is such a perfect segue i don't know i just think that was super interesting and i think i remember hearing it and i was like oh lana's mm-hmm. in trouble you know what i think <laughs> wouldn't it be like really cool in a few years down the line if lana had a concert and then all of a sudden like plays this song and then it just merges into creep and then radiohead comes out I know that's like not gonna happen. At no, all, I think that would be that just like that would I think fuck Lana, shit up. That'd be no, funny. Dude, Twitter need Twitter already did it for itself. We're just waiting. They did, and I think so. I'm not that would be pretty iconic. <laughs> all right, you heard it here first. You heard it here I'm first. Predicting. Lana Del Rey's publicist, Radiohead's publicist, get on that because I think the people I think Pay the people would it. like to hear. No, I don't Pay care. Me you for can my steal idea. It. It's fine. That's fine. You can steal mine. Uh- <laughs> don't steal mine. <laughs> All right, so Clarice, I'm passing the baton over to you. Well, I will start off by saying this week, like I said before, I picked two cases that dealt with people that I've already talked about. Yeah. The episode, I don't think it's the episode before this, but some episodes before this, you guys would have heard about My Dear Toilet Gate and Chuck Berry. I know we hate that word, but I love Toilet Gate. So both of my cases today involve Chuck Berry because mm-hmm. he was the father of rock and roll and a lot of rock musicians admitted to picking up his stuff and yeah. using it. Some of them got in trouble for it, as none of us are surprised. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear. All right, but the first one, like I said before, how Lana essentially just put her own lyrics right. over the Radiohead Foundation. My first case is Chuck Berry versus the Beach Boys yeah. in 1963. And literally what was the problem at hand was that the Beach Boys were accused of literally just changing the lyrics of one of Chuck Berry's songs and turning it into what we know as Surfing USA. I'm from California. 
Everyone knows that song, dude. And it is like the anthem of like summertime beach boardwalk. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're California. You're kind of like born with that like earworm <laughs> of that song. You're you like, just come- no, you come out of the womb being like everybody goes. <laughs> That's painful. I really hope not. At least maybe like the super beachy white people are yeah. exactly that. Okay, so the case involves Surfing USA by the Beach Boys, which was written in 1963, so the same year as this lawsuit, and then Chuck Berry's Sweet Little Sixteen in 1958. So not that far apart either. No, so not they at all. really scooped his shit up quick. A little bit about the songs. So Barry's original like sound and song was about a teenage girl who dreams of dancing her way across America bandstands. And he would list like the various cities that she would quote unquote like rock around. So the Beach Boys like simply tweaked this idea and listed like the various US beaches that were good for like surfing and flocking to. Yeah. Brian Wilson, who was the backup vocalist, bass player and songwriter for the group. I feel like a lot of people don't know that he's not the lead. That's Mike Love. So the Beach Boy, like, lead vocalist is not Brian Wilson. Not, is he the only one that writes the song? No. So here's where we'll get into it. So Brian Wilson wrote the lyrics, Mm -hmm. and he didn't change the harmonies or most of the style of, like, the guitar playing when he was, like, you know, composing, other than just, like, adding, like, the West Coast rock vibe and, like, twang to, like, like, the production. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He just twisted the lyrics of the song and essentially created another version of the song with the same story trope, just changing the cities. So Barry's style of rock and roll playing, like, made its way out West, and with this single, the Beach Boys, like, forever infused that Southern influence into the surfer rock that we know today. He considers this song, Brian Wilson, a tribute to Barry himself. That's what he says. He's like, we made this song. It was the first song that hit the top five charts for the Beach Boys, like, mm-hmm. ever out of all their songs. Okay. And he was very open, like, in saying that Barry's, like, an idol. So this is, like, our tribute to him. I that see. That obviously didn't keep them from not getting in trouble. Right, but he's right. like, it's a tribute. So that's the base. That's what we're dealing with. So we're dealing with not changing anything but the lyrics. Yeah. Literally everything is the same. So the fact that like, it would be more surprising if this didn't get in trouble. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm going to just play him. Did they think that that was like not going to make it so they didn't get in trouble? Do you think? Or do you think that was like an an innocence to that? Yeah. Because they didn't say that this was a cover. Mm -hmm. They're not covering the song. They're like, it's a tribute, but we're changing it, but we're still going to release it. And it hit the top five on the charts. Yeah. And it was like the Beach Boy song and arguably more popular than like Barry's version. Right. And I feel like that could almost fall into like the interpolation zone where people mix up samples and interpolation. So sampling is when you take the actual physical part of the song and put Audio, it in your song. Yes. Um, interpolation is where you will take elements from it and they'll still get credit for it similar as a sample. Like they have to get it, it clear. It's not a clean copy and paste. Right. Like, so, well, sometimes it actually is. Even for interpolation? Yes. Interpolation. Well, the reason I was actually bringing up flowers is because that Bruno Mars interpolation, like the melody is exactly the same and the lyrics are very slightly changed, but not quite. Ariana Grande's song, mm-hmm. she actually interpolates quite a lot and people are like, she steals stuff. And it's like, no, babe, she clears it. But the song Break Up With Your Girlfriend Mm Because I'm Bored. (laughs) Yeah. There's like the bridge that song is actually a, I want to say in sync song. 
Um, the you can say I'm tripping. That's like same melody, oh my goodness. same words, maybe slight change. But she paid but him off, so this never was like a case. Yeah, it was she's cleared. She clear. She, if I'm Amazing. not mistaken, she clears most of her stuff. Yeah, we've I never think heard her name dragged ever. Uh, I have. Maybe we okay, can talk about that we'll another time. That later. But um, noted. But yeah, yeah no, this was very much. But again, you have to get that cleared. Yes. No, they didn't get this cleared. <laughs> he was just like, it's a tribute. And right. That made it okay. No. No. Okay. So All here right. are the two songs. I'm gonna lead with Surfin, and then we'll go into Chuck Berry's love it version. Okay. If everybody had a They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA. Deep in the heart of Texas and round the Frisco Bay. All over St. Louis and down in New Orleans. All the cats gonna dance with sweet little sixteen. So, um. Yo. Need I play more? It's literally like the same. No harmonies were changed other than, you know, the fact that there's more than one vocalist on the Beach Boys. Like yeah, it has well, harmonies, but the guitar, like the strumming, the mm-hmm. pace, the rhythm. Well, also the melodies. And the, the exact melodies, same thing. the exact same thing. I so, think it also adds insult to injury that it's like a play off of his lyrics. Right. Like it, it's the same trope. It's the same idea. It's someone traveling to a bunch of different cities and naming off the cities. Wow. It's very funny. So when Chuck Berry like heard the song, he hated the way that Wilson <laughs> twisted his idea. He was and, like, fuck yeah, this song. He was like. I have a classic Southern rock and you turn that shit into surfer rock. Ew. Yeah, he hated it. He was pissed. And his name, so his name was never credited on the record. Like Brian was like, it's a tribute. Like we took this from Chuck Berry and it's a tribute to Chuck Berry, but no, Chuck Berry never got a uh, credit. They never like even mentioned it to him like pre-release, you think? or No, no. So it like came out as like a tribute, but so he, he never got found tri- out like, with the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> so he never got credited on the record, which is why this was like such a big deal. Cause mm-hmm. like credit the writer period. Yeah. yeah. According to Rolling Stone magazine, quote, Wilson said he intended the song as a tribute to the rock guitarist, but Barry's lores used another term, plagiarism. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. So the case itself was um, settled out pretty smoothly. I'm not sure it went to court either officially, but it was definitely settled behind closed doors. The Beach Boys then manager and Brian Wilson's father, Murray Wilson, immediately gave Barry the copyright to the song in order to avoid a lawsuit. The full thing? Barry now receives credit alongside Wilson for this tune. Yeah. Wow. But I also read in another article that, quote, the Beach Boys gave publishing rights to Barry's publisher as well, which means he could collect on those royalties as well. Oh, Um, so not only the songwriting royalties, but also the the publishing. Okay, okay. And so when I saw that, I read into it a bit more. And, quote, when the single was released in 1963, the record only listed Brian Wilson as the composer, although the song was published by Arc Music, Chuck Berry's publisher. Later releases, beginning with the Best of Beach Boys album in 1966, listed Chuck Berry as the songwriter as well. 
Okay. Later releases list both writers, although the copyright has always been owned since 1963 by Arc Music. So under pressure from Barry's publisher, the Wilson's father and manager, Murray Wilson, had given the copyright, including Brian Wilson's lyrics, to Arc Music prior to the release. So I guess this maybe was settled out before they released it. But when it was distributed, like they had settled this, like they already heard it and... So they Everyone have the credit. same. So they have the same publisher. Or they had. They had they it after. Sold, they they after sold it. Technically, oh, okay. I think they like distributed it, and then Chuck Berry found and out, s- and the publisher also found out. So then they're like, okay, we're gonna distribute it from 1966 onwards. From Chuck Berry's publisher. Yeah, getting listed and I all see. that stuff. Okay. Yeah, so I will say that although paying tribute to your idols and your music can be nice in moderation, the Beach Boys really lifted a lot of the identical melodies and intros from Barry's music into some of their big hit singles. Not only just this, but like Fun, 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 ripping off the guitar intro from Johnny Be Good, which is a big one. Mm -hmm. And their version is almost identical, if not completely identical. With the same like rhythm and like yeah all that good stuff. They should just have like given him credit and moved on because they got dinged for this again. They tried the same shit. This um, was after they already had Yeah. So when they nice. yeah. Exactly. In twenty fifteen, like funny enough, I brought up Mike Love earlier. Mm-hmm. Who in twenty fifteen, so years after the fact, Mike Love stated that Surf in USA was one of the many Beach Boys songs that he helped co write. But oh. he did not receive any credit. Oh, Love claimed he wrote the lyrics to the song, but was not able to be credited in his successful lawsuit against Wilson and the music company. He had this lawsuit in 1994, but he wasn't like successful because the copyright was owned by Arc Music. Oh, yeah. In a 1974 radio interview, Brian Wilson was quoted saying, when we first got going, Mike was a Chuck Berry fan. So he and I turned the lyrics into a surfing song. He says this on public radio. So even after, you know, it was kind of like said. Yeah. Mike was like, I should also get writing credit. Yeah. What well, I'm like, wondering aside what from the Chuck Berry was... and the Beach Boys conflict. Yeah. Mike Love was also like, can I get copy? Like, like, can I get credit on this too? Like, damn. Yeah. So it, yeah. It wasn't like a ghostwriter situation because he didn't get like any sort of royalty or anything like that, even just like silently. Yeah. No, I, oh, wow. I think it was just like something that had to deal with like turmoil within the band and like right. songwriting leadership and Brian Wilson being Brian Wilson. Gotcha. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that's like the little wow. Surfing USA thing. Yeah, the, everything we know and love about that song is just a copy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's nutso. And I thought like, I, I like kind of briefly heard about this, but then when I read into it and every source was like an identical copy, I was like, you're shitting me. I'm like, no, it's not. And it is. It, and it's no, it so actually is. Bad. So, well, well, <laughs> Damn. I think I was a little too wine drunk when I wrote this. Hold on. Lay it on me. What's your second case for today? My second case is named John Fogarty versus John Fogarty. (laughs) Did we just enter the Matrix? Inception? Where's my top? This is... Where's my little spinny top? Stop. I need to grab it. (laughs) (laughs) This one's a doozy, as Clarice likes to say. I do love to say that. Doozy is such a fun word. I'm a doozy. She's a doozy. I'm going to need to give a little bit of backstory in order to create this whole picture of this timeline and the lead up and also the aftermath. All right, let's go into it. Dive. Yes. John Fogarty was the lead singer, lead guitarist, and the songwriter of the band Credence Clearwater Revival, which I will 
for the rest of this time be calling CCR because it's long. That's fun. Just to let you know. Credence Clearwater CCR. Good old CCR. Yeah. The bandmates included uh, John's brother, Tom Fogarty, Stu Cook, and Doug Clifford. They were active as recording artists from 1968 to 1972. Their music style was called swamp rock it like originates like from, like alligators snapping turtles like, strumming on a guitar yeah like, have you ever heard of, like swamp blues yeah I have. yeah no i'm just trying to i'm, I'm being annoying <laughs> i have def- muscle shoals come on they created the yes. foundation of that yeah stuff. so like it's just like a hello i think i got my point across anyway swap swamp rock i'm just gonna ignore you swamp rock is a genre that originated from a fusion of rockabilly and soul along with swamp blues, country, and funk. So it's kind of like a subset of a subset almost. Okay, fair. Or subgenre. That's important for later. The band was originally signed to Fantasy Records in 1964. They didn't see a a ton of commercial success at that time. Fantasy Records was then bought by a man named Saul Zance in 1967, and a new record deal was signed. Leading to like the first LP drop the following year, that's when they became CCR. This new record deal, basically they were like kind of signing away the ownership of their master recordings as well as the publishing rights for all of their songs. As most bands will do when they're under a label. Yes. It seemed though that the band or the band members were unaware that this was kind of what they were doing when they signed this new contract. It was stated later that Fogarty expressed that he felt taken advantage of as a songwriter because he only got the performer's royalties instead of part of like the songwriter's royalties. Yeah. 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 So he really didn't get any money from being the writer of any of these songs, only being in the band and performing it. That's like where he got. That's strange. Like, how would that happen? Because he technically should own those rights. Yeah, he should. But again, I think they were unaware of how crazy this contract was. Oh, so maybe in the fine print it said that they would also take their writer's royalties or something that they didn't read? Yeah, I mean, like, basically, like, the songs belonged fully almost to the record label. And the only money that they were kind of, like, the band was raking in was them performing it. Like, touring and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. So they had a lot of big hits, obviously, some being Proud Mary, Fortunate Son, Born on the Bayou. You know all these songs. Have you ever seen The Rain? You know them. They're kind of like the songs that you hear all the time, but you don't know. Oh, I know them. Oh, Oh, I know them. So... (laughs) Yes, I know them. Um, I know Fortunate Son. Yeah. It ain't me. That one? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Just the eyes that you have. This episode has turned into like my vocal audition for American Idol. Maybe not American Idol. Maybe America's Got Talent. I'm no idol. (laughs) That's a lie. I'm an idol. Enough. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So CCR broke up in 1972, shortly after their final album release. There was a lot of cited tension within the band, particularly John Fogarty. He was kind of like, I want to do things my way. I'm the songwriter kind of thing. That's what I was gathering. He released music on his own between 72 and like 76, but then ended up taking a hiatus from the music industry. He didn't get too much commercial success shortly after so he was kind of like let me take a minute Mm-hmm. His pursuit in his like solo career after the band's breakup, he was like, I want to take back ownership 
of my work and my sound and really develop it. So in 1985, he released his hit album Centerfield, and it was his first album under Warner Brothers Records, and it charted very well. It was kind of like his big solo career moment. There was a few lawsuits that came out of this album. His solo album. Yes. The first lawsuit was the album included two songs that were clearly pointed at Zance, his former record label mm-hmm. boss seat guy. Um, <laughs> boss guy? The two songs in question were called Mr. Greed and Zance Can't Dance. What a title. Mm-hmm. So That's cri- very Dr. Seuss of him. I know. Critics and fans alike were quick to pick up on who these songs were about, obviously, and there was a lot of press and controversy about it. It was very, like, thinly veiled. These were directed at him, you know? Yeah. So there was also... <laughs> this is kind of my... <laughs> this is what it seems. This is what it is. So there's, like, a claymation music video for Zans Can't Dance like made when it was released or like made it was made no it was made when it was released it was like released so this is like old claymation yeah and I love it I watched it the other night and it was amazing but but it depicted Zance as a literal pig that robs people so um (laughs) yeah when Fogarty and the Warner Brothers caught wind of like a possible lawsuit I'm unclear if this was before after the lawsuit got filed actually but he changed the name to Vance Can't Dance. Lame. I agree. (laughs) So this, like, revision, it proved to be unsuccessful in stopping Zance from initiating a 144 million defamation lawsuit. Basically, the song was like, although he can't dance, he's very good at stealing, kind of thing. Zance uh, claimed that Fogarty portrayed him as, quote, a thief, robber, adulterer, and murderer in this song. Yeah. This case was later settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, but this was a precursor and a good lead up into the big case. So the lead single on the Centerfield album was a song called Old Man Down the Road. So Zance, or just fantasy records, claimed that the old man down the road was merely the song Run Through the Jungle by CCR Mm -hmm. with new words. They sued Fogarty for copyright infringement, but Run Through the Jungle was a song that Fogarty wrote. He wrote that song, but it was with Creedence Clearwater Revival. And because fantasy records owned the rights to that song, they felt like they had a good case on suing him. Right. But it was unclear in my research if he didn't own the copyright to the song because of a contract termination buyout, like when the band, or if he just never owned it in the first place. It kind of seems like the latter. Mm -hmm. So here is the Run Through the Jungle, and then John Fogarty's song, Old Man Down the Road.
okay, I kind of, yeah. Honestly, it's like the case before and my just, like the case that I just did, it's like the same melodic, lyrical idea with different lyrics. It's I see why. Very similar. I can see kind of like why they thought they had a good case. I guess I yeah. should, that's how I should put it. Because it is basically copy paste with some stylistic differences. True. But again, it's his song. His song. So eventually the case went to trial, which lasted about two weeks. Every day, Fogarty showed up and it was arranged for him to bring in his guitar to the witness stand. Mm-hmm. And he played excerpts from both songs. And I read somewhere that he also played like a few other songs in that same genre that he okay. had written. This was like in order to demonstrate how songs in that style will always kind of be a little similar just because it's a very distinct style Mm -hmm. and like has like a very specific sound to it. CCR was one of the pioneers to bring that swamp rock into the mainstream, Mm -hmm. aka like John Fogarty being one of the pioneers, you know? Beyond the fact that like songwriters kind of will always have like a basic similarity in how they write their songs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Many songwriters have like distinctive styles that can sound similar to like less trained ears. Yeah. Well, I I mean, again, especially like in this genre, I would say, mm-hmm. but even like pop music and stuff, I pride myself in knowing the songs that are written by certain people because I can just tell by how it sounds. I always know if Ed Sheeran wrote the song. I always mm-hmm. do. And yeah. Charlie Puth. Mm-hmm. Those two guys, I can like four seconds in be like, they wrote this song and yeah. I look it up and it's always right because they have very distinct stylistic things that they put in not only their own songs, but like songs that they write for. Or other people. In November of 1988, a jury of six ruled in favor of Fogarty, agreeing that he didn't steal his own song and that they were separate and distinct compositions. So the judge also stated after that ruling, like, besides the fact that he didn't own the copyright or whatever, he said, you can't plagiarize yourself. Duh. In an interview, (laughs) yeah, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Fogarty stated, quote, what's at stake is whether a person can continue to use his own style as he grows and goes on through life. I can feel Lennon, Dylan, Springsteen standing behind me going, Johnny, don't blow this. So he fought really hard because he believed that if he lost this case, it would set a precedent that was very harmful to songwriters, especially ones that broke out of their labels or changed labels or publishing deals even because how can you grow or like have your distinctive style as a musician if you are just going to be sued over it no matter what? Right. Well, I mean, you think about every solo artist ever that has left a band. Yeah. So it's funny because when I was looking this up, I didn't really realize that court case isn't actually like the important part of the whole story. Mm. It's kind of more so like the aftermath. So in the Copyright Act, there's like a section that authorizes, but doesn't require, the court to award attorney's fees to the prevailing party. Usually they would get their attorney's fees paid if they won. So like the first lawsuit about the Vance Can't Dance and Mr. Greed already cost Fogarty millions of dollars, not only in the settlement, but with the lawyers and right, stuff. Right, with all the legal Right, amounts. and like with this case, he was already looking at like over a million more dollars, like mm-hmm. just in legal fees and things like that, even though he had won the case. 
Right. Basically, he like sued Fantasy Records or Fantasy Inc. Mm -hmm. because he thought that they should pay the legal fees because he won. The district court actually denied his motion on the grounds that, according to the court, Fantasy had not brought on this suit in bad faith and that the suit was not like frivolous. It truly does say you have to kind of prove that it was basically like a waste of time and people's money almost and that was brought upon in bad faith. And I don't really know exactly how you can prove that though, which is, it's the, it feels the petty CE, to me. Yeah, exactly. The CEO of this company that you've already kind of dragged through the mud, no pun intended. Now he's kind of like out to get this person. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems. And but I it's think hard a lot of- to prove that on a higher legal level. Exactly. Than just like some- Exactly. Because in your brain, you can be like, I know why I'm actually doing this, but yes. you can present something extremely different. It was stated that Fantasy felt like they had a good case because they did technically own this copyright, even though he was the one that wrote the song. It basically just comes down to like, they were greedy, like right. that was a greedy contract, exactly. you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, because they didn't, it wasn't the publishing rights that were being infringed upon. It was the songwriters. It was both, really. Well, yeah, true. But I feel like mostly because so I say songwriters because that's what he would have owned. Right, exactly. With fantasy, mm-hmm. but was not given that. This case was eventually brought to the Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. There was actually like a split on whether or not Fogarty should be awarded the legal fees or not. The Third Circuit of the Court of Appeals and the Ninth Circuit of the Court of Appeals, which I think that just means like the different states, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. So then because of this split, the case escalated actually all the way to the Supreme Court. Oh, okay. After more fighting about that, and I think all of the first lawsuit, like the defamation one Mm -hmm. and this one, and just all of the things surrounding it were brought onto the table. And the case eventually ended in 1994 and Mm -hmm. ruled in Fogarty's favor. Okay. I think he got paid out a little over $1.3 million, or he was owed $1.3 million from Fantasy Records. Okay, to cover legal fees. To cover legal fees and recoup from lost wages. I guess this whole situation or situations someone risking having to pay over a million dollars because they developed their own musical style and he was just defending his right to keep playing in that style I read that in Tom Fogarty's like memoir he had stated that after these lawsuits he was so afraid to kind of develop his swamp rock sound more or even just make or release music in that genre for fear of being sued again yeah he totally drifted away from it until he released i think somewhere in the late 90s or early 2000s Mm -hmm. uh an album called revival and that kind of went back to his roots and this was kind of seen as like a rising from the ashes type revival this whole case changed the game in a way where it was so monumental because not only was it so insane that he was being sued basically for sticking to his sound Mm -hmm. And I think that this lawsuit and the outcome prevented a lot of very similar lawsuits from happening. Right. I can't even imagine how many more, if this hadn't happened, how many more lawsuits we would have had from, yeah, from solo artists. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and the publishing. Exactly. And it's so crazy because technically, yes, like they did own the rights, but 
I don't know. It's so complicated and weird. Yeah. And I feel like I left out like a lot of information. That was good though. It was. It set a precedent. But isn't that nuts? Like he literally got sued over Himself. his own song. Yeah. That's fucking we crazy. We should like dive into like, we should see if there's more of those that exist. There probably are. I'm sure there are. There has to be but somewhere. We should, we should do like, like a special version but, where we find just people against themselves. I feel like because of this and the outcome, I feel like it doesn't happen as much because they're like. Th- Better I, about it. On paper, you just, like, see how ridiculous that sounds. Yes. Regardless of, like, the legal technicality of they own this, they own that. He wrote both songs. Doesn't matter. No, it's funny because, like, (laughs) I feel like the way that this was stated was that it was, like, Fogarty against Fogarty. Like, he was getting, like, sued. He was suing himself. But, like, it wasn't really. It was just kind of, like, I think that was just, like, a little catchy name that they used. Uh (sighs) Uh-oh. Girl, I don't even think you're ready. I'm not. And I am so excited. (laughs) (laughs) okay um my next case Mm -hmm. is chuck berry versus john lennon in Ah. 1973 what this case has got a lot going on kind of like yours did before but like with the aftermath and like stuff going on yeah and in the aftermath is where i'm really setting you up with i don't think what you're prepared for okay but like i said before everything's coming together and unironically this case is about the beatles come together song from their last album actually mm-hmm. and that was done in 1969 against you can't catch me by chuck berry from 1956 yeah this is a big come together moment guys because everyone that i've talked about is going to be in this case okay <laughs> <laughs> anyway I hate you i love it okay so Barry's song, You Can't Catch Me, lyrically describes racing a souped-up airmobile down the New Jersey turnpike, then unfolding its wings and taking off. At the time, the aero car, designed and built by Molt Taylor, was nearing Civil Aviation Authority approval for mass production as a flying car with detachable folding wings. So this song is about a flying car. And I looked into this car because I was like, how is there a flying car made like at some point within the last 100 years and we have no idea about it? Yeah, I've never heard of that in my life. Okay, so this shit is kind of funny and crazy, but just very short. The aero car in like five minutes could convert from road vehicle to flying car. Mm -hmm. It had a top road speed of 60 miles per hour and an airspeed of 110 miles an hour. The wings were like on the top, like the hood of the car. It spread out. On the hood? Yeah, they would fold out from like the hood of the car. Okay. And then there was a propeller on the back, which would like get it going. Can you show me a picture of this car? Is there a picture? I'm sorry, I I cannot picture this at all in my brain. It's not as grand as like you're thinking whatsoever. I'm not thinking it's grand. It looks, I'm thinking it's janky. Yes, and it's great. Huh? But it was a road vehicle with fold out wings on the top. Wait, I'm sorry. There's We're going to have to put pictures of this on like the Instagram <laughs> Wait, description. Because... <laughs> um, but this thing only seats one passenger, which is boring. Mm-hmm. Whatever. If not, I wanna... only t- not even not two? Not even two? Annoying. But it actually worked. This thing worked. No, I just don't believe it. Yes. Only six prototypes or examples were successfully made because they couldn't get 500 car orders. So they... Got it approved. They like went to like a production, but no one company, wanted it. But they needed to get like five hundred to like manufacture, and they only got like half of that. They only got like two hundred. So they only made six ever. So these things were actually, if they sold five hundred, they were going to be sold, and like people probably would have owned them. We would have flying cars right now. 
I'm sorry, but I don't even trust like regular airplanes. But it works. I don't care. That I know, is but fucking it's crazy. terrifying. <laughs> um, in 2013, the Disney film Planes honored the Aero Car with a character based on it named Franz, aka Fliegenhosen, from the movie. So the Aero Car is like actually in the movie Planes. Shut up. Yes. And it's that weird looking thing. Um, okay. Okay. So that's Barry's song. That's what that song is about, right? Right. Okay. So then you have Come Together. Yes. On the Beatles side. It is considered to be the like standout moment on the Beatles Abbey Road album, Mm -hmm. which was the last album. So making this one of the final songs to ever be recorded by the group. And it's the lead song on the album as well. Like the lead single, I guess. Okay. So it's written by Lennon himself. The track was originally conceived by Lennon as a politically charged song aimed at rallying the counterculture movement around the psychologist, writer, and pro-drugs activist Tommy Leary. The song was composed for Leary's campaign to stand against Ronald Reagan as the governor of California. As we remember, Reagan gave Lennon a lot of shit. So Leary and Lennon had met briefly as a part of his and Yoko's bed in for peace, And was part of the recording on Give Peace a Chance. Leary was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even finding himself checked in the lyrics. I believe like Leary's something about him is referenced. Okay. Yeah. So this song come together was like supposed to be for Leary's campaign. Sure. But yeah, so we remember how much of a pain Reagan made Lennon's life when he was in the States and trying to remain in the States. Right. And it paired so nicely with Yoko's pacifist movement. So this was like the perfect storm. Right. Like the song creation. Of course. And then the next part, I said, should I read this in an accent? Please LOL. don't. Please I don't. <laughs> Actually. Lennon's, I was going to do that, my raunchy, like, Cockney accent. Okay, nope, don't do it. Okay. Already yeah. bad. So, <laughs> Len- <laughs> could you imagine if I, like, tried to impersonate Lennon? Oh, God. Anyway, okay. So, <laughs> Lennon states... This thing was created in the studio. No, I'm just Stop. <laughs> no, okay. So, he states, this thing was created in the studio. It's gobbledygook. Come Together was an expression that Leary had come up with for his attempt at being president or whatever he wanted to be. And he asked me to write a campaign song. I tried and tried, but I couldn't come up with one. But I came up with this, Come Together, which would have been no good to him. You couldn't have a campaign song like that, right? Okay. Okay, that's what he, so that's what he says about his song relating to like the campaign. All right. So before I like go on, I just want to like play the songs. Yeah, please do. Wait, also, side note, is that the video he's playing on Alan Freed's show? I think possibly. I think it is. In the beginning where he's like, Chuck Berry. <gasps> yes. And do we want to? Oh, yeah. You know, like Alan Freed, he's the, he was the DJ that I talked about. Yeah, the radio show. Like I'm literally paola. Ty- Guys, I'm tying this it's all together. literally every single one. It's every one. Okay, so I'm going to play Barry's song first. Okay. Yeah, come on, flat top. He was moving up with me. Then come waving goodbye in a little old souped up jitney. I put my foot in my tank and I began to roll. Moaning siren towards the state patrol. So I. It's like you hear it moving old flat top. We got like that. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to keep that in mind. Of course. And now, as we know, but I will play the Beatles song. Here come old flat top. He come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeball. He want holy roller. He got hair down to his knee. Joker, he just do what he please. 
Yeah. And that line. Here come old flat top. The same oh, line. It's the same line. Yeah. So okay. so here's where we're Let's at. Let's get into it. The similarities are pretty striking, and they even include the same line, like we said, here comes old flat top. And that led to a court case. Just that one line. John Lennon later argues that it was just an obscure inspiration, but... While okay. writing their 1969 song, Come Together, John Lennon looked to Barry for inspiration, adapting a line from his 1956 single, You Can't Catch Me, Here Come a Flat Top, He Was Moving Up With Me, for his own song's opening lyric, but he changed it to Here Come Old Flat Top, He Come Grooving Up Slowly, and emphasizing the same vowels as Barry when he did it. Mm-hmm. So he acknowledges that. Okay. Like in the creation of the song. Right. Lennon states, come together is me, riding obscurely around an old Chuck Berry thing. I left the line in, here comes old flat top. It's nothing like the Chuck Berry song, but they took me to court because I admitted the influence once years ago. I could have changed it to, here comes old iron face, but the song remains independent of Chuck Berry or anybody else on earth. Bro, you like admitted to it. Well, also, it just, like, that's incorrect. Like, the melody and the mm-hmm. chords are the same. And, like, exact the same, same like, guitar Same groove-ish. guitar. It's, like, yeah. So, though musically, like, Come Together was given a slower, funkier arrangement than You Can't Catch Me, Barry's publisher, Morris Levy, owner <laughs> of Big 7 Music, started legal proceedings against Lennon, resulting in a series of copyright lawsuits. Morris Levy sued John Lennon for copyright infringement because of the melodic similarity and because the Beatles song literally used some of the lyrics from Barry's song, the Here Comes Old Flat Top. The suit itself was settled out of court. As part of the settlement, Lennon included a rendition of You Can't Catch Me on his 1975 album of cover versions called Rock and Roll. And that's his solo album, as we remember. Yeah, so the agreement was give Chuck Berry writing creds. Okay. Acknowledge. Yes. Done. Did it. He So he got credits. He didn't get like a payout or like a... No, but I mean with all that, he gets royalties. Right, right, right. Okay. But in addition, Levy was like, you're going to give credit and we're going to like get, you know, royalties, but then you're also going to record three Chuck Berry covers Oh, to get us. to kind of get him chuck berry like more money kind of and it's just like yeah it's like a the the deal that was struck so lennon agreed as part of the deal to record three big seven music songs on his next album big seven being from the record right label. right there in the event his 1975 rock album rock and roll only included two big seven music tunes a take on lee dorsey's 1961 cut yaya and a cover of chuck berry's song that started all you can't catch me so it wasn't just chuck berry morris levy was like take just anything from record. my my record company catalog and cover it on your next album. Kind of like, um, not only do you have to give up some of the rights to this song, you also have to give us some press as like, uh, yeah. re- and they yeah, would, okay. they would in turn get, you know, the royalties from Lennon stuff. Right. Right. But remember the deal said three and, and Lennon only did, only did two. Okay. Levy quickly noticed that Lennon was one song short in their agreement, and he had given the cover of You Can't Catch Me an arrangement that reflected more of the Beatles song coming together than the original Chuck Berry song. Oh. So, uh Levy again initiated legal proceedings, and the court awarded him a little under seven grand. Okay. For, the, for breaking like this deal. Oh, okay, I see. The case goes on, and quote... While choosing songs to include on rock and roll, Lennon had sent Levy a tape of demo recordings, which Levy subsequently released through Big Seven Music as Roots. John Lennon sings the great rock and roll hits. 
So Lennon messes up with Chuck Berry, who's under the Big Seven Music Company. Okay. Big Seven makes him give copyright and makes Lennon record three songs out of their catalog. Mm -hmm. Lennon records two, one of them being very close to his own version. Right. Big Seven sues, gets money. Barely, that's nothing. Big Seven uses the demo tapes that Lennon sent them as part of this roots. John Lennon sings (laughs) rock and roll hits. Without Ah. Lennon's consent or permission. Bro. So... That's kind of, that is so, why are all of these so petty, dude? So another round of copyright lawsuits happens. Lennon took Big Seven to court. Lennon, Capitol Records, and EMI came away with $109,000 in lost royalties, while Lennon himself received a further $35,000 in compensation for damages. So they released this without, one, giving Lennon any royalties for the release, Two, telling him that they were going to do it. Wow. So he took them to court. He's like, cool, why are my demo tapes out and being bought and sold? And I'm not seeing anything and I didn't know about it. Did the Big Seven Records just like think because it was their songs and they were just like covers that they they owned all of that Basically. and they didn't owe him any like performers uh, royalties or anything? Right. But, That's um, kind of cuckoo. So I'm but like, the fact that they were the demos. Yeah, literally. So- Fatty dude. Yeah, literally the demos. <laughs> and it sounds fine, but they're like, we're going to make more money off of this guy. Yeah. And that's like a little bit of a mob mentality. And why do we know Morris Levy? Remember him from your first story, Mob Man. Exactly. So he was the one that, if we remember, he and one of the other mobsters paid Vasello to fly out to New Jersey to bop someone in the face. Yup. He's our bop. He's, he's he's our bop brute force ambassador. <laughs> I can't. So he's literally the mob. Like he's sitting at the top of his record company doing all this, and he literally got involved and did some shady shit regarding Lennon and distributed his tapes without his consent. Like all that crazy stuff. I also read somewhere that like Levy is or like a character from either The Sopranos or The Godfather or something is modeled after him exactly. Oh. I need to yeah, source that, that, but it's yeah. like, I, I saw it a bunch of places. It's just like not relevant to this, but I was like, that's crazy. literally mob mafia star. Yeah. So, wow. um, in a guardian article, Jay Burgeon, who was a trial lawyer in New York city for 45 years told like observer, that was one of the reasons John did not want to settle. He wanted to try to put an end to some of these really bogus lawsuits in a pattern of managers, publishers, and record companies who stole royalties from their artists, particularly the black artists. So I could definitely dive into this case a little bit more in detail, but there is a whole line of articles and, you know, just like stuff about Levy versus Lennon, mm-hmm. like him taking these big record companies to court between like when he stopped, he like got out of the Beatles and started doing his own stuff. Like those first few years were so tumultuous with like court cases like this mm-hmm. where he's getting himself in like really sketchy deals by these like mob guys. Wait, Lennon is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he's like, you deal with all this. Like he's just yeah. receiving the backlash from it because he's a songwriter and it's the songwriting that's in question here from originating from Chuck Berry's first thing. That's yikes. Yeah. Yikes. So we really, so there's a whole court case between him and Levy that I'm probably going to get into one of these. I'll get, I'll like dive into more. Yeah. So I just made everyone come together a little bit better than Lennon did. Um, am I Boo. more popular than Lennon now? Am I more popular than Jesus, if Boo. you will? Boo. <laughs> 
thought that was really crazy. I was that very surprised crazy. at the end to learn that Levy had any hand in this. I, you know what? Knowing his history, I just think it's so. Do you funny. think that he just had this like air of nothing bad can happen to me because I'm protected so physically, powerful. like, yeah. and because I have all of this pull and I have these mob connections? Like, I feel like he just didn't give a fuck. Like, it goes so. But deep. also, I feel like kind of Lennon didn't give a fuck either. You know, the songwriters and like the big labels taking advantage mm-hmm. of them and taking royalties and things like that. Like, that is definitely valid. But also, um, not the demo, video. not the yeah, yeah. Like, that is what I thought was cuckoo. very surprising. Like I understand him, like not like it's not like if you have a deal and you need to record three songs to get yourself out of like another copyright lawsuit, and that's like the terms that you agreed on. Okay, fine, do that. Right, but then. When it was just, it, that's that. just like plain old retaliation, yeah. truly. That's yeah. like and definition. I mean, seven like records, they got paid out for him not doing that. They got paid seven right. grand from not recording one more song. Yeah. But then he was like, oh, all these demos that you sent me? Release. I'm going to release them all. That is so... I want to be a fly on the wall in that like meeting where they decided that's what they were going to do. I don't know if he like... Something tells me that Levy wasn't meeting. He was just like... He got into a room full of people and was like, this is going to happen. Make it happen. He's like, there's no meeting to discuss. There's no discussing here. Yeah. We're releasing Lennon's shit I know. He was obviously very powerful like in his prime mob days. I don't understand how that... That probably has to go through a few people before that actually happens even though he's like head honcho Mm -hmm. how did no one stop that from happening right (laughs) like they had they had to have known that that was going to be an issue like there's just no way but yeah bro together i'm really happy that was such a fun Uh, that was a fun research that was a fun thing to find out at the end i was i was cackling so loud in my apartment when I was like you're joking that kind of connects to the Fogarty case that I was talking about where like these big wig heads of these companies like record companies Mm -hmm. are like I'm untouchable and I can and I'm gonna get greedy and do whatever I want yeah like a lot of people when I was researching were like out of the like defamation suit he had like a taste of it and wanted more he got greedy and thought he could get more money with like this lawsuit and things like that I mean they're both obviously trying to like be like whose dick is bigger um that's really what that comes down to in my opinion like let's see who has more clout not so crazy not so crazy but yeah i hope you guys like this episode they're like this series around yeah Yeah. i hope you guys like this episode you know what (laughs) who cares on that note on that note thanks again for all the support and the love and thanks um, for coming together say it one more time should i say it with an accent all right, we're gonna go. Mary Poppins. <laughs> when so we were when we edit this, I'm gonna take a shot every time you say the come together joke, and I'm gonna be drunk as fuck. Anyway. Anyway. We love you. We love you. And we will see you next time. Next time. <laughs> like what you hear feel free to leave us a review on apple podcasts rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts tell us what you think on our twitter or instagram at record crimes pod have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast send us an email at record crimes pod at gmail.com